Hey, this is Jay. Could you do me a favor and hit that subscribe button right there on your iDevice? And if you really like the show, could you do me one other favor and do a search for the Big Buck Registry and leave us a five-star review if you love the show? Thanks for your support and enjoy the show. Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 134, Taylor Drury. The deer hunting family business and the story of the dirty little secret buck. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Jana Waller from Skullbound TV, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on Stitcher, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. So my name is Jason Cogram from Owensville, Kentucky. And I represent the Jason Cogar Foundation. You're listening to my favorite broadcast of all time, Big Buck Registry. Look, Ma, no hands. Hey, this is Melissa Bachman of Winchester Deadly Passion on the Sportsman's Channel. You're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to my good buddy over there in Ohio for joining us as well, Dusty Phillips. What's happening, my friend? It's colder than the well diggers butt in January here in Ohio right now, Jay. Is that cold, huh? That sounds pretty chilly. Pretty chilly. Getting into the single digits of the morning and got about two and a half, three inches of snow. Man, it's uh, it's definitely chilly out there. Your deer season's still going, too, right? Yeah, I'm still going. We uh, we go into February, and uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of people saying they're seeing deer that shed their antlers so if you're hunting out there you better be careful you may stick the big boy thinking it's a slick head i was gonna say that's gotta be somewhat problematic if you're not really looking close at those heads right yeah it, uh, you know it definitely you can make a huge mistake this time of year by releasing an arrow on a, on a real nice mature what you think to be a doe biggest doe you ever seen and come to find out you walk up on it and ain't got no antlers that would be a sad night is it is it safe safer to shoot maybe a doe at this point if you're say i mean unless of course you see something that's distinct um just to make sure that you're you're, you're not mistaking that if you're actually out there to to meat hunt yeah i mean for sure but the the problem is going to be is that uh that 35 40 yard shot what you think looks like a doe is really a buck you know it's lost its so that is a, it's a tough time of year to be out there because you just never know. You don't want to shoot a uh, 150-inch deer that you've passed on. You don't want to shoot him after he shed his antlers. Well, heck no. Make- no, that'd be the worst thing you can do. Yeah, so, you know, definitely you can you can see the, the blood spots on the head and the scabbing. You know, that's there for uh, a few weeks anyway. And you should be able to distinguish that the deer has shed his antlers. And you know, if you if you can see a button buck, surely you can you can see that uh, the deer has shed antlers. So just be careful. That's all. Right. And fortunately, you know, with your your bow and arrow, you're shooting at close ranges, so you should have a little better visual on those deer. Otherwise, and probably don't want to be taking any of those borderline, uh, you know, just just after sunrise to you know, when it's pre dawn pre-sunrise those shots are those you know those wee hours of the evening where you really can't distinguish you got to be spot on on what you're shooting at, at this point in the season yeah it's uh you know it happens every year you know people make mistakes and and shoot a big nice buck that's got big nasty holes in the top of its head and think it was a doe coming in all right here goes your 170 next year so. yeah it, uh you know it'd be sickening really right but other man, everything's been good. You know, I've been healthy and not been sick. That's that's one positive to this time of year that mm-hmm. been staying pretty above the weather. And you're uh, you're working out, so you're you're getting in shape. Trying to do something, man. You know, uh, not that I was obese or way out of shape, but just trying to clean myself up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like this is uh, the the year of the let's uh, let's shed some some fat off your body type of years. Seems like everybody I know is doing this thing. You call me fat or what here? No, no, no. I'm saying we all have fat on our body. Uh, you got to get the mindset to, that you want to go do it, man. It's tough. It's not easy. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to trim off a few pounds, you got to put in the time. It's just the way it works. And it's, man, I, you know, I, I'm at, I'm doing one of these low carb things, man. All I want to do is grab a cookie. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, it, uh, man, it, it, uh, it messes. It's a mental, it's a mental game. It's a mental thing. And I want a beer or something like that. It's just, it's really, really, uh, it's a struggle, but then I feel good about my success when I actually accomplish the goal I set out to do. Yeah, and, you know, it seems like once you start it, though, Jay, it it just I'm I'm hoping that what I'm feeling is kind of becoming a routine thing. You know, I'm I'm on a I'm eating like chicken breast for lunch, uh, water with lemon. Yep. Then uh, you know, try not to eat much after five o'clock. That that seems to be you know I like to bump that up to three o'clock, but it seems like time I get home from work and you know I'm not stopping on the way home from work to grab something to eat. Yeah. Yep. I'm uh I'm with you. It's that's. It's the carb stuff. It's the, you know, it's the sugary stuff. That's the stuff that seems to sneak up on you, especially if you're trying to, you know, you, if you're drinking, drinking calories, that can never work in your favor. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, and you think about it, we've all been in the woods. Yeah. It's a little bit of a walk into a tree stand and, and sometimes you may have an extreme long walk, but, uh, you know, you get to the tree stand, you sit in a tree stand for four or five hours and you walk back out, you know, and your body's just kind of went lethargic on you a little bit. It's time right. to, time to get all of that hunting law and get into the thunder chicken exercise program. <laughs> all right. We've named it. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we grab some deer news with Jim Keller right now? And uh, when we come back, we're going to be speaking with none other than Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. It's a show you don't want to miss. No, you want to find out, learn about somebody that's been coming up through the ranks of some incredible hunters and, and under the wings of some incredible hunters. We had Matt on the show, of course, a while back. Now it's Taylor's turn. And I would say that it's truly Taylor's turn to hit the outdoor industry. And I think she's fallen right in suit and she's a great hunter. Uh, we kind of pick her brain on on how she hunts and how what she's learned about hunting, and it's uh, it's quite fascinating to watch her kind of grow up. Yeah, it really is. Well, here's Jim Keller with the deer news for the Big Buck Registry. This is Jim Keller with the deer news. This week's first story takes us to Texas, where a condemned killer of a Texas game warden is denied by the Supreme Court. This story is from the Associated Press. In Houston, Texas, the U.S. Supreme Court is refusing to review the case of a 35-year-old Texas resident who fatally shot a Texas game warden during a poaching arrest nine years ago. James Freeman was convicted of the murder and received the death sentence for killing game warden Justin Hurst in March of 2007. Freeman led authorities on a one-hour-long chase after he used a 22 caliber rifle to shoot a bird on a fence. The chase ended after spikes thrown on the road disabled his vehicle. Freeman got out of his truck, opened fire with a pistol and assault rifle, killing Hurst. Freeman is scheduled for the lethal injection on January 27th. Our next story takes us to Minnesota, where the governor has proposed poachers be charged with felonies. Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton is proposing tougher penalties for the illegal taking of wildlife in Minnesota. Governor Dayton is tired of the slap on the wrist most violators receive for serious offenses. Dayton presented his proposal at the annual Minnesota DNR stakeholder meeting. He had made a similar proposal to legislature last year that included revocation of hunting and fishing licenses for up to 10 years, but the initiative was rebuffed. Under the governor's proposal, felony-level offenses would apply to the unlawful taking of animals with a restitution value of more than $2,000. Examples would include four or more deer, two or more trophy deer, five or more bear or turkey, or 67 or more walleye or northern pike. Under current Minnesota law, Poaching cases are prosecuted as gross misdemeanors with license revocation of up to five years. For more information on this story, including the proposed penalties for other game and fish species, please visit www.startribune.com. Our next story comes from the QDMA, where their statistics show U.S. hunters are now taking more mature bucks than yearlings. The Quality Deer Management website features a story on a study out of Athens, Georgia that indicates U.S. hunters on average are harvesting more mature bucks for the first time in modern history. The report is according to data compiled in the QDMA's 2016 Whitetail Report. In the 2014-15 season, harvesting of yearling bucks dropped to a record low of 33%, which for the first time fell below the percentage of 3.5 and older bucks, which was 34%. 
This is the first time that this has happened since whitetail populations were restored in the mid-1900s. Since the QDMA was founded in 1988, they have watched the harvest pressure on yearling bucks slowly decrease each year. This decrease has resulted in a continued increase of the harvest of more mature bucks. Of the 26 whitetail states that collect data on older bucks, the top state to harvest mature bucks was Mississippi, where 74% of the bucks killed were three and a half years or older. Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma rounded out the top five states. These states also had the lowest rate of yearling bucks harvested, with Arkansas claiming the lowest rate at 8%. For more information on these statistics and to download a free copy of the 2016 Whitetail Report, please visit the QDMA website at www.qdma.com. Our next story takes us to Ohio, where the Department of Natural Resources is offering a deer summit. The Ohio DNR will be offering public forums or quote-unquote deer summits on Ohio's white-tailed deer management programs. These summits present an opportunity for hunters and other interested parties to ask questions and provide feedback on Ohio's deer management strategies. The first session on January 23rd will be held at the Wildlife District 1 headquarters located at 1500 Dublin Road in Columbus. The forum will have limited seating and you must pre-register to attend first come first served. To obtain more information on this first session and to pre-register, please call 614-644-3925 and select option 4. The second session will be held on January 30th at the Wildlife District 3 headquarters located at 912 Portage Lakes Drive in Akron. If you are interested in this session, please call 330-644-2293 to pre-register. On both dates, morning and afternoon sessions will be held at 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. respectively. For more information, please visit www.wildohio.gov. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. All right. Thanks to Jim Keller. And without further ado, here is Taylor Drury. Taylor Drury, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing great. Uh, we're talking to you. How could it, things be bad? <laughs> I know. It's fucking hunting. You just can't beat it. And I appreciate you guys for having me on. Yeah, we're really psyched to have you on. We talked to Matt, and Matt was able to put this together. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get you on the show or not. I know you're you know, you're know, kind of becoming kind of famous. So I wasn't sure if, you, if your busy schedule would allow for this, but as it may... It happened. Yes, I'm glad it did. Right now we're kind of relaxing before we head to Vegas on Sunday for SHOT Show. So this is perfect timing. It's that in-between, it's, it's show season, right? I mean, deer season just kind of wrapped up in a lot of ways, and show season starts right after that. Yes, we're now into show season. We just wrapped up APA, um, then SHOT Show is next week, and then in about three weeks we have NWTS in Nashville. Wow. So how do you like being on the road like that? I love it. I think that it's helped me learn a lot, and um, I've met so many great people, you know, whether it be Jury Outdoors fans or just becoming closer with people in the industry. It's really given me an opportunity to get to know everyone, you know, and it's, it's always very cool going to these shows and meeting hunters from all over the U.S. and kind of getting their perspective on hunting and how their seasons were, and I don't know, it's just a great community to be a part of, and to be able to travel with my family um, while doing it is the greatest part. Uh, it is uh, an, an amazing part if you can do this with your family all over the country. Uh, let's let's kind of uh, for the listeners who may not know um, where you fit into the Drury family. What wh- where, where are you? Are you whose daughter are you? I am Mark's daughter. Mark's daughter. Okay. Oh, and yeah. and who are you? You have a brother. I do not. I'm an only child. You're an only child. Okay. But your cousin is Matt, correct? Yes, my cousin is Terry's son. Terry's son. Got it. All right. So mm-hmm. you've been kind of cast into this this role as a jury and you didn't ask for it necessarily but you've adopted this and you've become a hunter how does that feel yeah it's you know i always say that um being a hunter ultimately has shaped me who i am today and i've grown up with jury outdoors being a huge part of my life you know from day one and um just the older i'm getting the more and more responsibilities that i have but yeah it's definitely been a huge blessing um growing up in the family business and also just every day i feel like i learn more and more about hunting and i say every day it's you know thank god to be a hunter it's, it's a great thing and i'm very very thankful that my my family raised me to be one 
How many years have you been kind of going across the country with your family now? I would say I've been traveling with my family more and more um, since probably I graduated high school, which would have been about three years ago. I've always traveled with them, um, but after I graduated high school and went into college, that kind of opened up my schedule a little bit more. So, yeah, probably more within the past three years. Gotcha. So you, you went through high school as kind of part of this, and now where does college fall in? today? Well, right now, I actually, I'm kind of on a new path with college. This um, year, my junior year is my first year that I decided to do all online. Okay. Um, I'm majoring majoring in business marketing, hoping to um, kind of continue my pathway into the family business once I graduate. But instead of uh, in-seat classes, I chose to do an online degree, which allowed me to hunt more, allowed me to travel more. But ultimately, I did it for the hunting. I was able to um, live in Iowa with my dad from September until right before Christmas. And I was able to hunt almost every single day with him. So (laughs) that was a really, really big step for me this year. I, I would tend to lean towards an online education as well if I had that opportunity. That's tremendous. It is. It's really great. My parents always say they're like, I wish we had that opportunity when we were your age. But yeah, the second I found out that they offered my degree in online, I, I uh, did all, everything to get it enrolled in that and... I love it. I absolutely love it. It's self-paced. And so basically I'm traveling and then at night, which pretty much every night I'm doing schoolwork on my computer. That's awesome. Uh, this online education seems to be a new, a new wave in education. And I've seen it a lot on, on, you know, they advertise it online, but it seems like there's a lot of this education that can be done online. And it's, it's interesting that you're taking advantage of it. You're in that right age group right now. They've, I see a lot more people doing this. So it seems like a tremendous opportunity. I think you're smart for doing that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. It almost seems like you talk about the online. It seems like anymore, everything's going online, <laughs> including school. Seriously. Yeah. No, life is online. Facebook, your life is now before all people. And it's, it uh, yeah, you you can't you can't uh, make one bad move because the the camera's on you, so to speak. Yes, it is at all times for sure. Yeah. So speaking of cameras being on you, literally, you have cameras on you frequently when you're hunting and you know, doing shows and stuff like that. How did you adapt to the camera? Was has it just always kind of been there? You didn't really care. Yeah, it's always you know it's like I said, it's very outdoors started way before I was born. So um, when I did start hunting um, with my dad, I've always had a camera. We've actually we were. Talking talking about the season that I have never harvested an animal off camera, nor have I ever went on a hunt without a camera present. Interesting. um, you know, to me, it's, it's uh, you know, that camera is kind of a symbol of the lifestyle that we live and our opportunity that we get to take our lifestyle and Outdoor Channel has given us a platform to kind of put it out there and spread the message and uh, really kind of just explain how lifestyle is. So that camera, is, it's never something that I wasn't used to. It was always something that um, we could really take advantage of in the field, knowing that once it, you know, makes it to the studio and then it makes it to the shows that everything we do in the field hunting wise it, you know it gets to go on outdoor channel and it's a way for all these people over the u.s to watch the shows and really learn about our lifestyle and kind of get a taste of what we enjoy to do and why we enjoy doing it gotcha and that's that's fantastic now what, there was one other person that told me that they've never harvested an animal without a camera on them too care to take a guess at who that might be uh, from my family or from the industry? From the industry. From the industry. I would say Eva. I would wager that too. Tiffany Lakoski said the same thing to us. Okay. Yep, yep. For sure. And she's great. I just love her. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she's, uh, it, it, so cameras are around, you know, just constantly monitoring your, your movements in the woods as you hunt. So yeah, for sure. At, at all times. And I think, again, it's very cool to see on social media. I, I am on social media often because I do all the jury at door stages, but I think it's very cool to see how many hunters are also get buying cameras just so they can film their hunts. And, you know, it's like maybe they put them on YouTube, they put short clips on Instagram, but it's very cool to see like how many hunters are taking the extra step um, to put that memory on video and then do something with it. I agree. More And the camera technology has gotten smaller and smaller and, and better and better. So you could, you know, you, it's not like you're able to zoom in on some stuff, but you could put a, a camera in your pocket. Your phone can do that now, right? Now you can go out and just do some kind of a video shoot of your hunt and, and capture the moment. Yes. I love that. And it's a great, I think, you know, you see so many videos that kind of circulate social media. And I think that's another great thing. You know, maybe it may be, you know, an anti-hunter or, or 
someone that has never hunted on Facebook and they come across a hunting video and it may not be killing an animal. It may just be the beauty of nature that someone filmed and they thought that it would go really well, you know, on the internet. So it's very cool how many videos have circulated from the sport. It is pretty neat. I, I like watching a lot of these, these handheld videos and it's certainly capturing more and more of those real moments that, that you may not see or that might get the hit the, the floor in the editing room. You know what I mean? Yes. So there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that's, that's very real and very true, but it may not make the show, but it's still pretty darn cool to watch. I agree, yeah. The viral stuff, I guess. So you spent some time at the ATA. How did that go? How was, uh, you said that you spent a lot of time just sitting down and, and, and meeting. Um, what's an ATA like for you guys? ATA is, I, I, I look forward to it every year. It's, um, it's nice to have the whole industry together, obviously, to see all of our industry friends. And um, But yeah, we're pretty much, we sat in meetings for three days um, with all of the great companies that we work with. And it's really cool to kind of sit down with everyone and hear the year-end reviews, you know, hear how everyone's years went and learn about all of the new products that are coming out for 2016, some for 2017. So it was really enlightening to sit in all those meetings and just um, see how some businesses have grown and the amazing like technology and gear and products that are coming out. It seems every year at ATA, we always look forward to see all the advancements that the hunting industry took, you know, because I feel like every year you feel like it can't get any better. And then the next year it does. So there is some really, really awesome products on the market right now for hunters. Yeah, we, we got to witness some of those as well. And I, I completely agree. Um, we're still kind of digesting what we saw because there was a lot. And uh, do you have a, a particular kind of bow that you like to shoot over the others? Yes. Um, I shoot a PSC Stinger. Okay. And, uh, or I'm sorry, a PSC stiletto. I said that right. I was actually just looking up the PSC stinger, but I shoot the PSC stiletto and I'm a huge PSC fan. Just, I've probably been shooting a PSC for three or four years now. And, um, obviously I'm a girl and I don't shoot as many pounds as probably a guy does, but, um, I just have really good luck with it and it's very, very lightweight. That's something that I think is important. And because I don't shoot as many pounds, um, I'm still shooting at a crazy fast speed. So that's another thing that's very important with low poundage. You know, it's obviously key to have a bow that, you know, when you take it out in the field that you're going to penetrate through deer and be able to make the ethical shot. That is important. That's, and that's very cool. So if you had to, let me get, actually, actually, this is an interesting question. And it's something that we're starting to ask all of our guests. And it kind of, I, I mean, there's a lot of diet stuff out there and all that stuff. But what did you have for breakfast this morning? For breakfast, yeah. I had a granola bar. A granola bar. Gotcha. Is that yes. t- is that a typical breakfast for you? You know, it sounds crazy, but I am not much of a breakfast person. Okay. I don't know why, but I just never have. I think everybody has their, their thing, you know, and, and for I think a lot of people don't eat breakfast. I've been trying to eat more breakfast, but it's always interesting to kind of hear what, what people are doing. So you're having granola, a granola bar for breakfast this morning. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Are you a coffee drinker? Uh, yes, I am occasionally. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Okay. And as you can see, we're just trying to learn more about you right down to what you eat and drink. So. Very cool. Uh, so one of the things that we were wondering, and uh, I don't, this is a loaded question, just to be forewarned. <laughs> uh, sorry, Taylor. Yeah. Of all the <laughs> of all the of all the family members, who's the best hunter? Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't think I honestly don't think I could sit here and pick one because obviously I'm gonna pick my dad and my uncle Perry because uh, I don't know I. I definitely couldn't pick one. I couldn't just pick my dad and I couldn't just pick um, my Uncle Terry because they're both just fantastic hunters. They both have different um, hunting techniques. It, you know, it's kind of cool. I shared like deer camp with both of them. I shared turkey camp with both of them. And it's really cool to see that two successful hunters hunt in totally different ways. And um, I feel that we spend a lot of time together during hunting season and obviously during the summer when we're producing the shows. But it's really cool to kind of be around both of them just because they have so much knowledge and uh, and knowledge that they've proved, you know, over the past 20 years, they've learned so much about white-tailed deer and turkeys that it's just fascinating to listen to those two talk about deer and turkey. I really could listen to them for hours. And I always say Matt and I are kind of sponges to them no matter no matter when it is because everything they say is so important and it's always correct but it's so important to kind of soak up as much information as they 
put out because it, you know, it just, it's amazing that when you take that information that they give and you take it into the field, how accurate it is. And it's very admirable that they've put their heart and soul um, into hunting over the past 20 years and they've learned so, so much. So yeah, I definitely couldn't pick one, but I would pick the both of them. Gotcha. So let's let's expand upon that a little bit. So you've learned a ton from both of these guys. Um, what are some of the the more interesting things that that you've learned over the years? What's one or two of the most impressive things that the the aha wow oh my god I can't believe I just learned that from them. What what are a couple of those moments? Goodness, I can't. It's it's crazy because I'm just coming out of a full season with my dad, and it was really it was a huge learning experience for me because we hunted almost fifty days together. And it was like before the hunt, he would explain why we're hunting where, you know, why it correlates to the wind, the weather, the pressure. And then during the hunt, um, as the deer were moving, he would explain why the deer were moving when they were, you know, why they kind of had this behavioral thing going on. And then after the hunt, he would kind of do a recap of the whole hunt and teach me like the overall lesson or kind of the overall um, point of the hunt. And again, why we went there and then how it proved to be what it should be. So um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to pick two certain things that he's taught me, but I think, I don't know, just through the years, I guess, because it's so important when it comes to hunting to hunt on the right wind, to hunt near bedding areas, to hunt when the pressure's high. I think that's the most intriguing to me um, because those are kind of the really, really important things that if you take everything else away, that those three or four things have to be right for the hunt to go well. Okay. So I think I'm always very interested when they're talking about the pressure, you know, or the phases, obviously. We have 13 out now and we, we, they broke down the 13 phases. So I, I know your question is two things, but I really don't think I could pick. I think it's just um, I have an overall interest learning now that they broke it down in the 13 phases. It's very interesting to learn what tactics are in what phase and why. Okay. So th- 13 phases. We probably don't have a- enough time to go through 13 phases uh, on this show today. But what what are some of the phases that they're describing? Um, so we have, like, um, my favorite phase is greener pastures, which is phase two. And uh, in this show, uh, it's our new show called 13. Well, we're actually going in our third season. But they decided that there's 13 phases that the white-tailed deer change during a season. You know, it may be correlation to weather. It may be have something to do um, with the food source they're on. It may have something to do with the rut. But uh, I like greener pastures, which is phase two, because the moon is usually good in phase two. And the deer on green. So, you know, for instance, during phase two, it's like we know once those dates hit that we're going to be sitting probably over a of biologic field because that's where the deer are hitting our cameras, you know, or we get into, I'm not exactly sure on the numbers, but it's called pre-lock, you know, and we know that they're about to get locked up. So the rut is on, they're chasing, and there's certain tactics that play into it. Gotcha. All right. Very interesting. Uh, do, do, does late season come into play in, in the 13? Does what? I'm sorry. Late season? Yes. Late season is probably phase eight through about phase 13. So uh, we're like right now, Missouri bow season is still open. It's open until the 15th. So right, right now we're in phase 13, the grand finale. Okay. All right. So we're kind of getting towards the end of this phase, yeah. this 13 phase. Yeah. It's very interesting. That would be very interesting to check out further on. How can we get more information about that particular item? Uh, more information would either be on our website, which is juryoutdoors.com. And then um, there's kind of a tab to hit that says TV and it'll break down all of our TV shows. And if you click on it, it gives you the cast and um, the channel and the time. Or you can always go to OutdoorChannel.com and go to their TV guide and then choose 13 and it, it'll have the time for you. Gotcha. So if you had to describe your, your dad versus your uncle, are they, are they the same type of people? Are they from the same cloak? Do they think exactly the same way or do they have differences? You know, I think they're... I think they're more similar than they are different. Okay. Um, I would say their, I mean, their main characteristic is just how giving they are. They're just the most kind-hearted, giving, just genuine people, guys that I've ever met. Um, differences, difference-wise, I don't know if it's like exact differences that I can point out, but they do, yes, they're brothers. They think in different terms. You know, sometimes they may have like little funny disagreements about stuff or like I said, they may hunt differently. 
Right. Um, but overall, they're pretty much the same person in a lot of ways. They love to hunt. They love to joke around. They love family. And again, they're they're just very giving, fun people to be around. Now, are they easygoing kinds of people or are they, do they get agitated easily? No, very easygoing. Both of them are very laid back. Okay. All right. Very good to know. And is there is there a boss between the two of them? I know they're kind of equal in the sense, but is there one person that kind of makes the decisions more than others? Yeah, not necessarily. I think... Um, um, you know, our kind of our motto in the business is it's a team effort. You know, it's it's never one decision over the other or one's opinion over the other. It's kind of a group effort and everyone has their say and we pick the you know, we pick the route that makes the most sense. Gotcha. I think that's a great answer. So where, where do you fit into all this stuff in the future, right? I mean, you've obviously been under the wings of some amazing hunters over the years. You have hands-on access, easy access to some people that know deer and whitetails better than probably anybody in the country. And there's a there's a role for you here. I would assume in the company and the, in the, the, you're going to college for marketing. Where do you see yourself fitting in here in the next five years? Well, I see, you know, as I get older and as I'm getting closer and closer to the end of college, I've, I've taken on just a few more responsibilities than I did back in high school. And, um, right now, I guess I kind of have two main focuses in the business or I guess two main responsibilities. And one that is, I'm a cast on 13. So again, we're only going into our third season. So um, this is my third season of being a cast on the TV show. So, you know, it, it's obviously a fun responsibility, but I'm hunting more. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we have TV shows to produce. And it's, again, it's a blessing that I get to do that. So number one was hunting more, which is why I took the step to go with online college so that I could hunt more, um, put more hours into helping produce the TV show, you know, because we have 13 original episodes that have to be produced every fall. So it's very, very important for all of the cast to be out in the field and, you know, really spending time on making sure that these television shows get produced the way that we want them to. And then number two, I'm also um, handling all of our Jury Outdoors um, social media pages along with um, another guy that we have in-house, and his name is Trevor. So that's that's something that I do every single day. I'm um, doing Jury Outdoors social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter every single day. And then um, Trevor that I mentioned is helping me with social media content. And then he is uh, right now focused on our YouTube channel. So then when you go into our YouTube channel, we have something new that we started that's DOD TV and Matt and I are hosting DOD TV. So, um, you know, in five years, I just, I see myself kind of doing the same thing. I'm still hunting a lot and for on the cast of 13, if that continues, and then always doing social media. So after I graduate, I'll obviously you know, sit down with the family, but hopefully my roles, you know, continue to increase because it's it's a very great, great thing working for the family and being in a business that is surrounded by so many great people and so many knowledgeable people. And obviously, in my opinion, maybe a little biased, it's the best industry in the world to be a part of and having all of our hunting family. So as I near the end of college, I just look forward to being even more of a part of the business and as much as I can, whatever I can take on. Gotcha. Very cool. So if you're looking at the like uh if you're in charge of facebook if you're in charge of some of these instagram things and twitter and how much monitoring do you have to do on your page i mean what i'm what i see a lot of is a lot of anti-hunters and sometimes negative sentiments from other hunters that are not really supportive do you know what i mean so, so how do you how do you monitor that? And what are your feelings about you know an industry, not just the industry, but hunters in general coming together to to form like just just a a stronger union? I feel like sometimes there are hunters that are out there that uh, you know they might you know yell uh, high fence or um, something of that nature. What what's your perspective on that stuff? Yeah, I see it. You know, I see it increasing more and more. The negativity and the anti hunters being like kind of attacking um, hunters online. But to me, it's, you know, it's almost the way we have to look at that and somehow turn it into a positive. And, um, and, you know, like I said, we have a great platform that we're lucky to have. So we use that as a way to continue to spread this positive message. I mean, there may be a lot of, a lot of negativity on the internet, but you, you know, when it comes to that mean stuff that people are saying, you have to, we ignore it. You know, there's no reason to fight back. There's no reason to argue with someone because, you know, sometimes, 
they may be lashing out because they don't exactly understand hunting and why we do it and how it benefits them in a way in the long run. You know, so I think it's important for social media because social media is a huge aspect in our world right now. I think it's important that we continue to flood our pages with these positive messages about hunting, you know, and not necessarily make the hunting about us, but make it about the animal, make it about how we're, you know, feeding our families and how we're giving back to conservation. Those are the type of messages that I hope, you know, that these people that feel the need to be negative online, they can kind of grab those messages and latch on and maybe be a little bit more educated. But, you know, there's, you know, with, I don't know, it's hunting is very controversial. And like you said, there is a lot of backlash, like the high fence or whatever. But at the end of the day, we know in our hearts, you know, what is true and why we hunt and why we're proud to be hunters. So all we can do is try to educate the ones that aren't necessarily informed on it. Yeah. It seems like there are a lot of, there can be some jealousy, some negative sentiments um, about animals being killed, um, not only from anti hunters, but from hunters themselves. And sometimes to the point where, uh, boy, that's a really small deer that you shot. Why'd you do that? Or, uh, and I, I think, I think really we are all in a position that hunting is, is very, um, geographical. Like some, some big deer might be big in some areas and not in others. Uh, there's, there's certainly, um, everybody hunts their own way. So I, do you think yeah. there's a right way and a wrong way to hunt or is it, it just depends on, on the hunter itself? Yeah. I think it depends on the hunter itself. And to me, if you're a hunter and you're spending time out in nature, you know, if you're trying to fill a tag, you're trying to put venison in your freezer and feed your family that, you know, there's nothing wrong about that. And I think it's it kind of reminds me, Michael, Michael Waddell put a Facebook video up. I think it was probably two weeks ago. Yeah, and he was that. saying that he yeah. just had, did you see it? Yes. Yeah, yeah I know I, exactly what you're talking about. It, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he was saying he just had to vent. And his overall message was, and it's kind of just like you said, he was seeing so much negativity on his page, you know, saying, why are you hunting in a blind? You know, why are you shooting that buck? Why are you using a crossbow? Whatever it may be. And his main point was like the best point that I've heard in a while is we're all hunters, you know, with, with so much outside negativity coming in, you have to forget that, you know, you got to forget what it's. It doesn't matter where someone's hunting or what brand of camo they're wearing or how they're going to harvest the animal, whether it's with a bow or a gun. It doesn't matter. We're all out doing the same thing. You know, at the end of the day, we're all eating the same type of meat. We're all giving back into the same land that's all over. It does not matter. You know, so I think his message was very important because we have to unite as hunters and we have to stick together and continue to spread a positive message instead of breaking one another down. I completely agree with that. Absolutely. What I'd like to do next, Taylor, is like to kind of pick your brain about the techniques that you use in the field and try to figure out you know, what makes you successful, what types of things do you take with you into the into the blind or the, the tree stand or whatever it is that, that makes you more successful. And I'd like Dusty to kind of take the charge here and kind of as we try to dissect world-class deer hunters on this show, uh, you're falling into that category. We want to figure out what makes you tick and what, what makes you that the hunter that you are. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, We're going to take you on a little bit of adventure here. We're going to bring it down to, let's start with uh, scent control, Taylor. I know that's got to be a huge factor in the jury family. And, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, let's say you're, you're getting ready for a hunt uh, tonight that's going to happen in the morning. Is there any particular thing that you do you guys shower with uh, scent control soap or anything? Yes, we my, I know my dad does it year-round, which I think is funny, but he's just that much of, he's very into scent control. But yeah, we both, anyone that's hunting in our hunting camp showers with the Under Armour scent control shampoo and conditioner. I know as girls, it's, I have a lot of, you know, people that say, how do you get rid of the scent? Because with us, I'm sure we use a lot more like glitchy, perfumey stuff. But right. um, the Under Armour scent control shampoo and conditioner is the best out there. You shower with it a couple of times and you're complete. You're completely set free for the most part. Awesome. So we get into a shower, and then the morning of the hunt. I'm assuming that. Uh You've got a backpack that you take to the woods with you. Is that correct? Yes. Can you run us through, break down, open the zipper up, and tell us what you carry in your backpack before you head to the woods? Well, let's think about it. I have an Under Armour backpack in which I highly recommend. They have all sorts of um, all sorts of um, sizes for their packs, so I love that you get to choose from the variety. But if you open up my zipper, I would um, most definitely have a Nikon rangefinder. 
whether if I'm gun hunting or um, bow hunting, that immediately goes into my pocket the second that we get to where we're hunting. Um, I have Nikon binoculars, the Monarch series. I have a release aid. I always have a release aid, even though if we're gun hunting, it just stays in there automatically. So I know that during bow season, I have it and there's no chance of me leaving it at home. And I use a True Fire release aid and it's in pink mochi oak. Um, I will have a face mask, an Under Armour um, Mossy Oak Fleece face mask. I'll have a neck gaiter. It's an Under Armour Fleece neck gaiter. Gloves, obviously the Under Armour Mossy Oak gloves. What else? I have, I always bring a portable iPhone charger. That's probably bad, but I do. <laughs> mm, glasses in my glasses case, chapstick, my tags. Obviously, that should have been number one. My tags are always in my pack. <laughs> And I think that is it. Awesome. Is there any particular Under Armour backpack that you're carrying? There is. I'm not. Um, I honestly think that I use the versatile one. Like it's. I think it can be men's or women's. Okay. Um, but it almost looks like a book bag. Like it looks like if you're going to shop for a school book bag, that's what you would get. But it's in. It's an Under Armour Mossy Oak one. But it fits just like a book bag. Because um, my dad likes the packs that are off like a book bag, but it goes around his waist too. You know, mm-hmm. and it kind of hangs lower. But I like these just because if we do have a long walk in, it's pretty equally balanced on your back. Gotcha. Okay. So we we got into a little bit about scent control, and, and I'm going to refer back to that. So we, let's say we're getting ready to go to the woods. What kind of camouflage do you guys put on for you head to the woods? We use all Under Armour um, Mossy Oak. Under Armour has been a huge, I would say they just their, inva- their advancements in the technology get greater and greater every year. We just sat in their meeting at ATA and got to see all their new products that they're coming out with, all their new gear. And their technology is so awesome, you know, whether it's their cold gear infrared, which is super, super important um, during late season hunts when it's snowy, when it's 10 degrees out and freezing. Especially for me, I, I freeze and their gear is the only gear that keeps me warm and their boots. But yeah, we're we're a diehard Under Armour. Under Armour, I guess, I don't even know what you call it, but we just love Under Armour. We love their scent control. And um, most most importantly, we love their cold gear. Like I said, it's the warmest stuff that we have ever worn. And it, honestly, you're we're like warmer. We're, we're warmer than ever in Under Armour, yet we're wearing less layers. So it's, it's really awesome to have that gear on us. Awesome. Do you use any kind of scent spray before you walk in? I personally do not. Um, my dad sometimes uses the Under Armour spray, but I do not use any sprays. We just, I just keep my camo in a closet that isn't um, kind of sharing air with anything else going on in the house. So it's pretty much kept in a closet that isn't exposed to any smells. Or we'll keep our camo like in our hunting shed where it basically just keeps the outside smell on it. Gotcha. Okay. Tell me about your bow setup. What kind of bow are you shooting? I'm shooting a PSE Stiletto. Um, I have an IQ sight on there. It's actually their brand new lighted sight, lighted pin sight. And it is the greatest thing ever this season. There were so many times when, you know, with our own naked eye, we could see the deer plain as day. But when we, before we switched to this lighted pin sight, you know, we would raise our bows and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's really hard to differentiate the pin and the deer. Well, now with this, light. It is just awesome. I mean, the second the sun is about to go down, we put our light, you know, pretty dim, not too bright where it takes your attention away, but pretty dim. And it's just, it really like lights up your pins and it gives you, I would say probably a whole extra 10 minutes that you could shoot. You know, obviously you can only shoot up to legal shooting, but with the, you know, with cameras and stuff and with those old sites, it was hard to really be able to shoot up to legal shooting. But now that we have these, um, we have these sites, it takes it to a whole nother ball game. So it illuminates the pin in the side chamber. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Perfect. What kind of arrows are you shooting? Um, I am shooting a carbon express arrow, a really, really light arrow. I'm not exactly sure on the amount of grain, but it's a very, very light arrow. Gotcha. What kind of broadhead do you tip your arrow with? Right now I'm shooting a Rage SS. Um, next year I'll be shooting the Rage Plus T. They just came out of it, but both, both heads are for low pound. And the Rage SS I've been shooting for two years and I have phenomenal, um, outcomes with them. It's just, it's amazing that I'm probably shooting around 43, 44 pounds and I'm, you know, I'm shooting through gear at 30 yards and in and it goes through like butter. So broadheads are very, very important. And I, every girl that ever asked me, um, you know, they're trying to look at a broadhead. What should they look 
look at, I highly, highly recommend the Rage SS. And then what's replacing the SS is the Plus P. It's the same thing. Um, it's just a wider cutting diameter, but again, it's for the low poundage. Gotcha. And I'm assuming that's mechanical. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. Let's get into a little bit about your tree stand setups. Tell us what you guys would normally hunt in. Tree stand wise, um, we're hunting in muddy tree stands. And I think a big thing to hit on this year is we use the new safe line. And obviously, um, tree stand safety is very, very important. You know, you, you hear of more and more accidents. And this safe line, I think, is a way to totally avoid an accident. Um, their safe line, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but I don't know how long it's been out with money. I don't think it's been out very long. But you tie the safe line um, to your very bottom step that you would get on to climb the tree all the way to your stand up at the top and it stays tied on like that even when you leave so then obviously we have our muddy harnesses on if we're hunting in a tree and um the rope behind you you connect it to that safe line and as you're climbing up it's just in your hand and the safe line little notch that's on the rope that's tied to both ends moves with you and it's just connected to your harness the whole time so if your step you know if your step breaks or if you fall back your harness rope on you is automatically grabbing onto that safe line and it's tied into both so you can't move. So to me, it's that's very, very important. I mean, obviously the tree stand is important and we love the muddies, but that safe line is, is uh, it's the way to go, really. We love them. We put them at every single set that we have just so we know when we're climbing up and we're climbing down, there's no, you know, there's no risk of um, a step breaking and you not being able to grab something solid. All right. Yeah, it makes sense. So you're safety first. And that, that's something that we try to tell all of our listeners that, uh, you know, we want to be able to tell the story after the hunt. Yes. And even, you know, it, and I, you know, even if you're not hunting in, you know, whatever tree stand you may be in or whatever lock-in you are, you can just buy those safe lines and connect them to wherever you want. But it's basically a simple rope, and then they just have a mechanism that kind of latches onto your harness and goes up and down with you. Very awesome. Let's get into your most memorable hunt. Most memorable hunt would have to be a hunt from this year. And I was lucky enough to kill my biggest buck ever um, on December the 20th. So it was my last day of my gun tag in Iowa. I hunted second gun and it was by far the most memorable hunt is my biggest buck and it's a buck that we were hunting all season. We just couldn't get on him. I um I actually encountered him with my bow. Um, he stopped at about 75 yards and didn't come any closer. So obviously we just enjoyed the view. We got great footage, which will be seen on 13. And um, so then we knew going into gut season that we wanted to really check the cameras as much as we could to get that MRI most recent information from him and try and learn his bedding area. So kind of through pictures, through our reconic pictures all season, um, dad would check them often and we were just learning more and more about where he was bedding, um, the time of day, where he was traveling, all that sorts of stuff. So gun season came around and that was our main target. But we had a lot, you know, really after EHD hitting a few years ago, our, our main goal on the farm is just to shoot a mature buck. You know, it's not not necessarily chasing all these booners that people think we're chasing. I mean, it's really just finding a mature buck and trying to pattern him. So it was my last night of the gun season and um, gosh, the weather had just heated up about 10 degrees. The pressure was very low in which my dad swears against that. He loves high pressure. So we kind of almost went into the hunt with not, you know, not kind of low hopes almost. And uh, this buck, we named him Dirty Little Secret because it was actually a buck that last year my dad had got on camera and he was talking to our farm manager Wade about it and he was like, you know that 10 with all the blah 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 and Wade's like, wait, what are you talking about? And my dad has a had actually forgot to mention the buck to Wade, in which my dad and Wade, they shared buck pictures nonstop. So it was just kind of funny. That's how we call him Dirty Little Secret because it was almost like my dad was keeping a secret about the buck even though that he wasn't. Maybe, for all I know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, anyway, so we're sitting there, we're in a, um, we were in a big game freestyle blind and I had a traditions muzzler, muzzler season. This is dad and I's, I think almost 50th day hunting together and it's misting on us. And all of a sudden he stepped out and we were just, Oh my goodness. So couldn't believe it. And at that point when he stepped out, he was at two, 280 yards in which with a muzzleloader, you know, just to make sure that, you know, that muzzleloader bullet performs and does the job. We we only usually shoot 175 yards and in, so we knew that he had to come in 
that hundred more yards for me to be able to make the shot. So we communicated back and forth. He's filming. We have three other camera angles going with our garment in the blind and we're communicating back and forth. Cause at this point I have buck fever really, really bad and I can barely breathe. <laughs> oh, that's great. So we're just communicating, making sure that everything turns out right. And, um, he comes in and he, and I'm watching through the scope. So we're just waiting for a broadside shot. We're calm and collective and everything's good. And all of a sudden we hear our neighbor that borders us. And we're not near the border. He flies up like behind our blind in his truck. And this is at prime time. It's at buck 30. Um, he obviously can see our deer on the field. And I don't know if he could see this buck at, from his view, but he flies up behind the blind and starts doing donuts in his truck and revving his engine. So then it goes to like complete panic mode. And we uh, luckily, like we talked about so that our field starts clearing and my buck is basically almost broadside. He's a little bit quartering too. He turned right at the truck because they're all staring at the truck. And I made the shot. He ended up running 100 yards and dying. But it almost, our neighbor doing that, obviously out of sight, it wasn't out of um, niceness, <laughs> but our neighbor doing that kind of added a whole new level of excitement and nervousness to the situation that looking back, it made it a hundred times more memorable because it was, it's very cool alone to get that opportunity at a buck like that. But, um, you know, with those circumstances, it was even more of a blessing to get it done with the neighbor doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. I could hear the excitement in your voice. Great told story, Taylor. Thank you. <laughs> Very cool. So Taylor, I had a few closing questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. And these are a little thought provoking, but uh, I want to kind of put you on the spot here and, and see what you have to say. So you've you've studied all these great hunting tips, obviously from your uncle and your father over the years. If you had to pick one deer hunting tip, what would be your number one hunting tip of all time? Mm number one hunter. I would say, you know, I feel like my dad, my dad would have a really great tip that is just full of information and when you should hunt, why you should hunt. But I would say a tip coming from me because I do learn all that stuff from my dad. But from a 20 year old perspective, a tip would be to be persistent when it comes to hunting. I think, um, you know, when it comes to social media comments and Maybe some of the backlash we get, you know, it's always, you know, teach us how to shoot the deer you get or teach us how to do that, teach us to, and, you know, I feel like if, if anyone puts their mind to something, they will get it done. And I feel like when it comes to hunting, no matter what buck you may be hunting, no matter what size of buck, where you're hunting, persistence always pays off, you know, and I think as, when, when we look back at the end of the season, it's very cool to open up our freezers and they're full of deer. They're full of venison, wild game that we get to eat all throughout the year until next season. And to me, when you you look at, you know, a full freezer, it is based off persistence and how much time you put into into um, deer hunting and, you know, how much you were willing to take time out of your day to really go out there and use your full hunting rights to, you know, as much as you can. Gotcha. Very good. Very good answer. All right. So you're 20 years old now, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes. Okay. So what would the 20-year-old Taylor tell the 15-year-old Taylor knowing what you know today about life? I tell myself probably a couple things. I would say never let the small things get to you. Always live in the moment. Appreciate every single moment that you're given in life. Every single morning that you wake up is a blessing. And um, to work hard and also to never apologize for who you are. Or like even says, never apologize for being a hunter. I think from 15 to 20, I think that was the period that I really learned a lot about myself and a lot about who I wanted to be and what shaped me. And um, I think if I could look back, I would just tell myself to always follow my dreams, always be passionate about the things that I was born to be passionate about and never apologize to anybody for it. Love it. That's absolutely spot on. So of you have access, to, obviously, to some great information about hunting, but do you have any favorite books about hunting or magazines that you refer to frequently to obtain some, some additional knowledge about hunting in itself, deer hunting? Yeah. You know, books. My dad had a book back in the day. My dad knows Uncle Terry, and I did read that, and that taught me a lot. I'm really not much of a book person. Uh, I'd say magazines would be more, like deer and deer hunting, turkey and turkey hunting, um, outdoor life, field and stream would probably be the four publications that I look at most often. But anymore, I think, you know, if I'm not learning something about hunting from my dad or uncle or someone in the industry, I think it's learning from social media. Um, I'm on the internet a lot with my job and just reading all the feedback and the articles that are put out there now, whether it be from Outdoor Hub or an Archery 360 blog, 
blog. I think there's so many articles and so many cool publications that are now online that I find myself reading most often. Gotcha. It's certainly more things are at your fingertips than having to pick up a, a print anything these days. Yes. For sure. Very much so. Spe- especially for the, the younger generation like yourself who's, who's starting to, you know, the, the internet was part of your life when you first started. So it's kind of that way. Right. Yep. Totally understand. Um, do you, when you go into the woods and we all have these little things, whether they're good luck charms or they're actual items that make us more successful, do you have anything that you, it drives you nuts if you left it in the truck that you wish you had, whether it's a good luck charm or you, you just kind of feel naked without it? What's that one thing for you? One thing. The sad thing is probably my phone. I don't know why, but I am like a freak about knowing what time it is. I think my dad laughs at me in the blind at how much I check the time. Hmm. Not that I'm wanting time to pass, but I just, right. I don't know. I find myself always wanting to know what time it is. And then I see my, like I find myself after the hunt, always like thinking, okay, yeah, we saw this deer at that time. But um, so yeah, it'd probably be my phone, my chapstick, and a water. Those are really weird things. But honestly, I don't have anything that I bring to the woods for good luck or anything. Um, my superstition kind of comes from songs, and I know so does my dad. Okay. But yeah, I think those three things are um, things that I always have to have while I'm hunting. Okay. So if you leave those on the truck, it drives you nuts the whole time you're in the stand or in the blind. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you said your dad listens to songs is that what it was yeah we're really superstitious so we always every deer season we have a lucky song and it's kind of crazy i wish we had time to explain but we always have a song every season that sticks out that when we get back from a good hunt or it's usually killing a buck like there's always this one country song that we always hear and it ends up having like something to do with when we kill i mean it's weird it'll be a song that we barely ever hear but then the second we hear it, we go hunt and we kill a deer. Hmm. Or say we're going to track a deer. Like we'll hear the song and then we'll go track the deer and find it after a long track. I don't know. It's just these weird things that it's like everything will go wrong and then we hear the song and then bam, it's like everything's in our favor. Gotcha. Okay. A quick question about your hunting styles. Do you, do you have one style that you stick to the most? Like from what I gather just from your videos that hunting tree stands seems to be your most most preferred method. Do you, do you engage in other methods as well? Well, yeah, we honestly, I don't um, tree stands, you know, the safe line thing that I was talking about earlier, that makes me a whole lot more comfortable. But with just all the bad stories that I was hearing about hunting in tree stands, we started hunting in blinds more. Okay. And um, we get a little bit of uh, backlash about that, but we really like um, the success that we've had in these blinds. These uh, the muddy bull blinds or the big game freestyle blinds or you know, just a regular box blind. We really, really like hunting in those because it's a flat table ground. Um, the scent control in them is awesome. And you have a, you have room to put all your, put all your stuff in an organized way so that's not going to get in the way if it comes down to the moment of truth. And I don't know. We just, we really do. I prefer blinds over tree stand. You know, maybe that's because I haven't hunted in a tree stand as much, but I feel a lot safer in them. Gotcha. Do you ever engage? Go ahead. It's very nice to be able to go hunt in the rain and you're covered. You know. Oh yeah, the, the being covered during bad weather is a great situation. Dusty and I experienced that just a few days ago when we were hunting Ohio and we got bombarded with a, a pretty heavy duty snowstorm just as we were walking into the woods. So sitting in that ground blind all day certainly made for a much more comfortable hunt and made you stay out there longer for sure. Yes. Yes, ground blinds too. I should have mentioned that ground blinds too. But yeah, that's like you said, it's it's great to be able to still sit in the elements, but not necessarily have to get you know downpoured on or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, because if you think about it, if you're soaked and wet and cold and your muscles are just cramped up, and you're not going to stay there nearly as long as if you're more comfortable. That's just the bottom right. line. And the more hours you log, the better your chances are. Bottom line. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, last question for you, Taylor, and we'll, we'll let you go. When you're meeting somebody, a stranger, for example, say you're at a convention and you're in an elevator and, and a stranger walks into the elevator and they say, oh, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? What's your answer to that question? Um, I think, you know, right now as a 20-year-old, it's, it's, I don't necessarily have a career yet. So if I'm asked that, I, I do say that I do, you know, social media for an outdoor production company. And then um, it's usually the, you know, the normal question that people would come back and ask, you know, oh, what type of outdoor production company? And then, you know, I just always say that we have hunting shows or we're in the hunting industry. And then it's kind of, it's funny that you asked that because I can think of numerous times like on an elevator where our conversations get cut short because when that outdoor production term gets turned into hunting, 
Yep. It's kind of interesting to see that people always, the, their questions really start flowing, which is really cool. You know, it's something to think about because you think if you could take every anti-hunter on the internet and turn it into an elevator conversation about hunting, what it may be. Right. That's a very good point. And then those conversations are, are, are actually very interesting when you get down yeah. to it. Yep. Very cool. So what can we expect from Drury Outdoors in 2016? Well, Drury Outdoors, we just uh, wrapped up our whole deer season. So now um, starting in July, all four of our shows, um, which is 13 Dream Season and Bow Madness on Outdoor Channel and then Natural Born on Pursuit, they will start re-airing. So it is um, all, all across all, all uh, four shows. It's 13 episodes on each, all original, all starting brand new in July. And then um, our DOD TV that I mentioned earlier that Matt and I are hosting, we release two DOD TV videos a week on our YouTube channel, uh, which is kind of like either hunts from the past or tips from the past. Kind of all that footage that you were talking to that hits the studio floor and doesn't go anywhere. Yep. We have so many hours, I mean, hundreds of thousands of hours of footage that never, you know, made it to TV. So DOD TV is our perfect place to take all that footage and put it online for everyone else to see. Beautiful. So DOD TV is more popular. And then social media, we're really, we're really hammering it hard on our social media accounts right now with all kinds of content that is coming from Three Outdoors. It's all authentic. So those are probably the three main things, TV, um, YouTube, DOD TV, and then social media. Gotcha. All right. So rundown where we can find you online so we we can get the links and i'll put all the stuff in the show notes so don't feel like you have to write it down if you're listening but where okay. where should we look okay so um our facebook page um is just official jury outdoors if you're just searching it it's just jury outdoors um our instagram is jury outdoors and our twitter is jury outdoors okay. and then mine personally is just taylor jury dod gotcha all right very good uh, taylor this has been a pleasure and I, I love listening to you tell your stories uh it's been an honor to have you on our show and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate you guys having me. And it was great as always. I hope to meet you guys soon. It's always really great, you know, getting to uh, learn about new people from the hunting industry and just hunters all over the place. I agree. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. What an amazing young lady Taylor is. Yeah, it's, uh, just think of what, you know, she's got some, some big shoes to fill, Jay, and coming up with uh, with her dad and uncle and, and, and her cousin hunting like they do. And Man, it's just got to be one heck of experience and one heck of a drive to fill them shoes and become part of the uh, jury operation there. It's it's got to be it's got to be a little bit of pressure, I, I would think, on her because she's got some some uh, expectations upon herself from the family. But she's also got an entire hunting industry and and fan base that's looking up to her already. But she's she's so smooth and polished at what she's doing already. That's the fascinating part. Yeah, it, uh, for sure. And you know, the drive she's got, Jay. I think that uh, it, it, anything she runs into will not be an issue for Taylor Drury. She's got that uh, outgoing personality and and the drive to work through any scenario that she could possibly run into. Yep, yep. She's uh, you know, she's definitely right there with uh, Ava Shockey or Tiffany Lakoski. She's already in that category. She's already, you know, of the upper echelon of female hunters, and she's just getting started. Yeah, for sure. And I don't see her not being successful. That That's the whole thing. She's going to be huge successful, and, and she's going to be a huge asset to the family business. I mean, wouldn't you like hang, to hang out with Mark and, and, and uh, Terry, Drury? Uh, <laughs> just. Have, just call you know you get them on the phone anytime you want hey i did this what do you think what an asset to that that is to the to deer hunting it's like two mega rolodexes of deer hunting information right there yeah yeah that's crazy it's like it's like hanging out with a professor of the whitetail woods at and, but at your fingertips whenever you you want to have more knowledge just call your uncle or your dad it's crazy it's it pretty be, darn cool it is pretty darn cool he took the words right out of my mouth well excellent man this uh this has been very cool do we have a chubby tines tip of the week this week dusty we do have a chubby tines tip of the week what do we got you know the season coming to a com- Completion. It's time to uh, go out there and re- release them straps on your tree stand and, and let that tree grow without burying your stand into the bark of it. Uh, you know that's something that's very often overlooked. That uh, in the following year you go out there and your straps just so tight around that tree. You know they're, they're a, a living thing and they clean your air and 
let's try to take care of them trees. You know, I'm not saying go out there and, and, and unstrap everything and walk away and try to climb down and strap. But if you just release that ratchet strap or that pool strap, just give that tree enough room to uh, expand and, you know, that's freezing and thawing and you know, that tree's going to grow by the time you get back into the stand again in the fall. So just keep that in mind when you're out in the woods. No, that's a good, good point. I've neglected some tree stands before I went back to, to inspect them and it, uh, those trees are strong. They, you know, those straps wear down over time and then they'll just, um, they can bury it into the tree, but the, uh, the straps themselves will, will snap. And of course, if you're not paying attention, that could be really a lot of trouble the day you show up to hunt there, climb up in the tree. Yeah, it just seems if uh, I release them, you know, give them a little slack, and when I go to get back in in the fall, I ratchet them down and I hunt. A little breathing room. No, that's a good, very good point. Something I don't, I haven't considered recently, but that's a good idea. I think it'll be a good reason to get out in the woods again, just to just to check the stands, check the tracks, see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you another reason to go out and check that trail camera and see if them deer are shedding. Right. That's right. Exactly. A little shed hunting. Check the check your stands while you're shed hunting. That's a really good. Good idea. Oh, man, it's been a great show. Our thank you to Taylor Drury for joining us on the show. Uh, just a lot of great insight into her world and uh, gave us some pointers on, on what to do out there in the Whitetail Woods. Uh, so, Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here on the microphone with me? Well, you know, sometimes I'm in the woods, but season's winding down. So you can look me up, facebook.com forward slash chubby times outdoors. You can also shoot me an email here at the Big Buck Registry. That's dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. And uh, if you want to hit me up on Instagram, at Chasing Antler. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Uh, you can definitely find me in the woods as I'm out there trying to find some sheds and uh, getting a, an idea where these deer are traveling. I think they, they are you know definitely starting to yard up a little bit where I'm at with the, the snow starting to get a little deeper, not very much, but the t- cold t- temperatures specifically seem to have uh, moved them into a, a herding type or yarding type situation. Um, but you will find me in the woods, um, or if you want to, you can email me, j at bigbuckregistry.com. You can always check out our Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash big buck registry. Twitter is twitter.com forward slash big buck registry. You can give us a call at 724-613-2825. If you'd like to leave us a a hunting story or something that that you like or don't like about this show, that's a great place to do it. And if you could, if you're, if you're an Apple user, if you're using an iPhone to listen to this, this show, if you wouldn't mind, please leave a review. If you love this show and leave us a five-star review. And all you have to do is do a search for Big Buck Registry. You'll find us, and then you can do the review process from there. Uh, also, subscribe to this show if you haven't already, either on Stitcher or on the Apple device, if you're using an Apple device. Also, you can find us on the Outdoor Podcast channel over at OutdoorPodcastChannel.com and also found on iTunes. And I think that is all the places we're hanging out right now, Dusty. Big buck, big buck, everywhere. Big buck. Yes, sir. Well, man, I'm Jay Scott. Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.